Hello and welcome to the seventh series podcast, where we talk about Ashtanga yoga and family life. The show is produced in Melbourne, Australia, by me, your host, Gaynor Stanisich. Hi, thanks for joining me. In this episode, I speak with Bibi Lorenzetti. She's an authorised Ashtanga yoga teacher living in Newburgh in the United States. Bibi gave birth to her son earlier this year, so she shares in depth and with some humorous detail of her pregnancy, birth and postpartum experience. Bibi is also open in sharing her past experience of anorexia and issues with body image and how this influenced her thoughts around pregnancy and becoming a mother. Bibi gives an honest account of her thoughts and experience shared by many women in accepting the body postpartum. We also get to hear some of the postpartum practices Bibi discovered, including observing the first 40 days, vaginal steaming, consuming the placenta and nourishment through foods. I hope you enjoy this episode. If this episode brings up past or current issues for you, please reach out if you would like help finding support in your area. Hi, Bibi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for joining me. To start off with, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, who's in your family and what you do? Yes. So I currently live in Newburgh, New York, which is about like two hours from the city. We've been here for three years. We were kind of done with being in the city. And when I say we, it's just me and my partner and now our addition little baby who's four months old today is very exciting. He's moving into a more like reactive phase. So he actually sees us and interacts with us. It's been great. And yeah, we're just up here. We have, I have a little shala and my boyfriend has a music studio. So we're kind of, it's been a a really big blessing during this time to have a space where I can zone out and do my practice for an hour. And tell us about your journey with yoga. Where did you first start yoga and did you have a teacher that was quite influential? Yeah, so I started yoga um, when I was probably like 21 and it was back in New York City in just a donation-based studio. And I was at the time doing acting and this was kind of the only form of exercise that I could afford because it was donation-based. And it was vinyasa at the time, and I was really drawn into it. There was a sense of, like, I remember very clearly the first class I ever took of yoga, just finishing and feeling like I really felt at home in a way that I had never felt before. I got hooked right away. And, you know, part of it, I think, because of my own history with my body, that the being hooked came from it being a really sweaty and intense experience, both physically and emotionally. And so I I was... I was right away sold on it. And for a long time, I practiced at the studio a few years. And, and I think two years in, they started doing a teacher training. So they, and they asked me to, to train to be one of their teachers because I was there all the time. And so I, I did their training. This was back in 2008. And then right away started teaching with them. Um, and then luckily some stuff happened with that studio. And, uh, this was yoga to the people, which actually right now there's a lot going on with, with the owner. He actually ended up firing me um, because I turned him down. And that was a really big blessing because then I ran into this sweet little studio called the Shala Yoga House in Union Square, uh, where Kristen Lay and Barbara Varoki uh, were the owners. And they were the ones that introduced me to Ashtanga Yoga. And I think I started practicing Ashtanga in 2010. And then I ended up in Mysore that 
January of 2011. And since then, Sharat has been my teacher. Sharat and Eddie have been my teachers. And so did you actually practice with Eddie? I did. I, um, I transitioned to him whenever on the trip that I came back from Mysore when I started doing third series. My teachers at the Shala Yoga House felt like I would be best guided by him. And so they, which was such a beautiful learning experience also for me as a teacher to see, you know, teachers that I had been with for five years come to me and say, I think it's time for you to, to move on to something else. That was really, that was a really beautiful offering of theirs. I started with him probably like in 2015 or something. I started practicing with him and until I moved. I'm, I'm actually really happy that everyone is on Zoom because of it. <laughs> because just yesterday I took my first lead class after, you know, pregnancy and birth. And it was, it was just so great. When you were doing the other style of yoga, was that a daily practice? Was it when you started Ashtanga that it became a daily practice for you? No, it was since the beginning. I, I felt like, yeah, my body just really craved it every day. It was a very natural a relationship with yoga like happened, blossomed right away. It just felt really natural for, for my body to move in that way and, and breathe in that way and kind of focus in that way. So it was, it, and it actually, whenever I started going to the shala, my, um, my teachers offered both, they had a Jiva Mukti background. So they had, um, they offered both vinyasa and uh, ashtanga. And so they had this 12 o'clock class, which was their best class. And it had music and, uh, people really loved it. And I would go every day at 12 o'clock. And so one day, Kristen pull, pulled me aside and said, you know, I've noticed that you come every day at the same time. I really think that you would benefit from trying Ashtanga. And I was like, no, it's too early at the time. I was still partying. And, you know, I was I wouldn't wake up until 10 or 1030, you know, the time that it took for me to get in the subway and get to the class at 12. And so I, she was like, just give it a try. Just try it for one week. And I tried it. And then it was also that was just it was a no-brainer. It felt very liberating. I and I actually, I studied the page. Like she gave me the page with the primary series on it, and I like memorized it. And I came in and like halfway through, Barbara came up and was like, "You know, this is not a script. Uh, you you learn this slowly, piece by piece. Even if your body can, you know, can can do all the postures." So she pulled me back, and I remember being really upset about being pulled back, which was the first big lesson from Ashtanga Yoga and that that was challenging enough to be like okay this practice is going to keep challenging me I like this I can sign up for this. <laughs> so you touched on that there were some body issues when did that happen was that sort of earlier in your life or your teenage years or was it as you were establishing as an actress or at what point did you experience those feelings? I began having like a sense of my body in a negative, with a negative connotation when I was probably 17. You know, when I came to yoga, part of the reason that there was this feeling of coming home. And actually, I, rem I remember having a big like cry outburst because it felt like when I was practicing, it, the feeling was I, I was so soft with myself, even though it was physically intense, there was this softness that I experienced towards my body. And so at that point, I was 21. So I'd been anorexic since for like three or four years at that point. And it was just a sense of like relief. Like there, it was an hour in time where I wasn't judging myself or I, where I wasn't being harsh on myself. And it actually over time began 
to change the way that I related for myself for a few hours after practice. I felt like I was more forgiving. I was more uh, gentle, more soft with myself. Uh, and then that period of time, I think, slowly began to extend the more time on the mat. You know, the more the years passed, the more those hours after post-practice where I would be gentler with myself began to extend. Um, and it took about 10 to, to 11 years to actually fully heal from it. But I, I definitely think that yoga was the main, the main healing factor in my journey. And I think that also what, that's what allowed me to eventually even begin to think about pregnancy. I think it, I, I definitely think that practice was the seed that allowed for all this to happen. I've noticed too on your social media that you post a lot of really healthy food options. Do you have a background in Ayurveda? I don't have a background in Ayurveda, but I did. I got really sick at one point when I was 25. I got hepatitis C. I had to go through this whole uh, like a year of, of meds in order to get to get it out of my system. And at the time I was in Italy and I met this uh, wonderful woman. She was a Hatha yoga teacher and an Ayurvedic practitioner. And she, I spent that whole year working with her um, to kind of take the, the, the effects of the medicines out of my body and to really heal. And that's when I kind of, the Ayurveda conversation began to enter into my world. And since then, I've just naturally, you know, applied things in my life that are Ayurvedic, but I'm not schooled in it or, you know, it's, it's all just home geeking out. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm by no means a, um, an Ayurvedic practitioner. I did spend some time uh, studying nutrition because I, I became a health coach for a while. So I did do a little bit of studying in that area. And I think that, that was also very helpful with, you know, with learning to eat and how to eat and, and becoming confident with putting food in, into my body without fear. So that was also a big piece of, of healing for me in anorexic context. I think when I met you in Mysore, you had a husband then, so that's obviously changed and you've got a new partner. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your partner and how you met? Yeah, so I was married when I met you and uh, I divorced probably five years, six years ago on my 30th birthday, actually. I met my partner. I met him like right around the same time. It was kind of the, the catalyst to to me actually changing changing gears and realizing there were a lot of things that weren't going the way I wanted them to. Um, and we've been together since. And actually, the funny thing is that both my ex-husband and I met someone at the same time. And so it was kind of like the universe just opened the doors for both of us. And we both just, he's now married to this woman that he met then. And I have a baby with the, the man that I met then. So it's kind of like, it was just this perfect divine timing for us to, <laughs> to split and, and, you know, rebuild lives. Uh, so my partner, he's a musician, he's a drummer. Yeah, it's been, it's been really great to make that shift. And so when did you decide to start a family or did you decide to start a family or was it just it, that it happened? As I was saying before, motherhood was never really a thing that I had envisioned for myself just because I was so scared of my body changing and, you know, I was really into traveling and I mean, I still am, but I never envisioned myself as being in one place and, and making roots. And it's taken a long time to, to let go of the fear of, of controlling what my body does. Um, so I didn't think that I would be able, like, even whenever I healed, 
you know, around my, my, or my early thirties or I'm, I'm 34 currently. So when I say early thirties, I mean like 30, 31, uh, which is when I feel like I, I started to feel really stable in, in the form that, that I had become and inwardly and outwardly. So I think that and it was never a conscious decision, but just out of the relationship uh, and out of just my yoga practice, there was a deep curiosity in in how my body would carry life and grow life and how I would, you know, how I would be in that journey. And if I could, it was almost like a, a, an asana challenge, like when you get a new asana and you're, you're challenged by it and you kind of spend all this time on the mat trying to figure out how your nervous system and how your, you know, your whole body can adapt to it to make it happen. It kind of, that's the way I felt about pregnancy. Like I felt like there was a challenge and I felt like I was ready to take it. And I was mainly really curious about, you know, how the yoga would apply in having an extension of me and seeing it grow. And would I be able to grow this life with all these, you know, all these principles and all these, all these things that I, I've been learning through, through the yoga. So it was, I was interested in that mainly and my partner I think also he never really thought of himself as a father but yeah I think it just stemmed out of our relationship and and wanting to wanting to explore and see how how it would go. And how did the journey of fertility go for you? Uh pretty well. I so when I decided to I, we decided to get pregnant probably a year before we began trying. So I remember I, I went to see Sharmila. Um, she was in Canada for like a week long retreat. And so I went to see her because I, I just wanted to hear her take on how she adjusted her practice. And because at the time I was doing full third and how, you know, just if she had any suggestions in terms of beginning to get ready for it. And it was really helpful because she, she told me that I should start taking vit- prenatal vitamins. And even if like I would, I wasn't ready to begin just then to, to start trying and drink a lot of minerals in my water and just begin to like soften, soften the practice a little bit. And also because I, I just felt like third series is such, to me, it has a very masculine energy. It comes with a very masculine energy because uh, it requires so much, so much strength and, and focus. Not that women are not strong or focused. I think we, we, we are that maybe even more so than men sometimes. There was something, yeah, just it felt very masculine about it. So it was nice to talk it through with another woman that has been through it and has two kids. And that was kind of the beginning of planting the seed. And I, I began to soften and I went to, to just see how I could look at the practice from a different place and maybe take away a little bit of the fire in, in the practice try to extend, you know, the, the ending and try to work more on a pranayama meditation practice. And then I went to Mysore that following year and I decided that when I would come back, I would start to drop third series and slowly scale down to just a primary series practice to be able to then let go of practice for the first three months. Um, so that's what I did. I went full out when I was in Mysore. And then when I came back, I stopped practicing third and uh, we started trying. And I think we got pregnant on the third try. So it was pretty fast. And I have an Ayurvedic practitioner that I work with here in, in New York and uh, Maria Rubinate. Uh, she's a teacher of mine. And um, she had me move into a more kaffic diet um, to build more you know, steadiness in, in my body. And yeah, and then when it happened, I, 
you know, it wasn't so immediate, the, the letting go of practice. It took probably like four, three or four weeks for me to fully let go. There was a little bit of resistance, especially just like I felt a lot of angst. I did feel a little bit of fear to, to, to let it all go. That also was kind of a gradual process. And then luckily up here, fall is a really nice time to go hiking. So I got pregnant end of July. And so by September, it was nice enough that we could go hiking. So I, I was like, okay, I'm just going to be outdoors. And that's what I did. I swam a lot in the pool and I, I, I was hiking a lot. And I really en- actually enjoyed those three months, that three month break of just, you know, not having practice, but trying to find other ways to ground and to, to, to go inwards. I think that was a very important thing. It was a practice in itself. And I think it really prepared me for what, what's to come later. You know, when you have a kid, there's not really, there's not much you can control. So you have to find other ways to get your practice in or see, see where practice exists outside of the mat. With some of that letting go or fear of letting go of the practice, do you think some of that was rooted in the body image issues you'd had in the past? Absolutely. You know, I think that no matter how much you heal, there's always going to be this little piece of your mind that stays anorexic and, and wants to try to lure you back in all the time with by sending little messages of fear, especially when it you know, when there's changes in your life and whenever things feel out of control, there's always, there's always something that that part of your mind wants to control. And there's always like, you know, it wants to schedule in certain things into your, into your day. And so it was a big, it was a big leap of faith. And again, I think that the sturdiness that the practice of Ashtanga yoga creates in your nervous system really allowed me to like, stay really steady in the midst of that, you know, mind chatter that, that kept trying to like creep in and change things around. And it was, it was actually really nice because I realized like how, how deep the practice goes and how installed it was because I didn't feel, yes, you know, I would wake up and I would be like, Oh, well, if I can't practice, what am I going to do to, to feel like I'm, I'm doing something to stay in this place that I've kind of come to. And so there, there was that letting go. And I mean, I, that doesn't take away that I was, I wasn't active. Um, but there's definitely there, there was a shift in, in the mindset of which you come to the mat or which you come to any activity that is not to, you know, when you're anorexic, you want to, everything that you do is so that you keep your body small or that you burn off whatever it is that you're taking in. And so the mindset has to change where the conversation in your mind is, I'm doing this to feel good in my body, like to, to feel like, you know, whenever you have a, you move your body and it feels like every cell is nourished and you feel really like vibrant. That's kind of the, the feeling that I was looking for while I, you know, in those three months of just feeling like whatever, whether the movement was gentle or whether it was a hike or whether it was swimming, like whatever the movement was, the intention behind it was to feel like my body was alive and and, flu- and fluid and and feeling like it was strong. So it sounds like you took the first trimester off. So what was your transition back to the mat for the second trimester? So I began by doing sun salutations and standing for a few days. And then I explored my way into the seated, just taking things out if that didn't feel right. I didn't really go by any book, meaning like I didn't really follow any rules. I just 
at the beginning, it was mainly, you know, because your belly is not really there yet. I mean, there are some changes that anatomical changes and you, you do feel a little different. But if you're, my belly didn't really show until about the sixth month that much. So it wasn't so much about there being a belly, but it was more about my hips felt different and, you know, my, my chest felt different. So it was just an exploration of what felt good and what didn't feel good. So I added slowly and up to Navasana and then I dropped the second part of first series. I just did up to Navasana and then I would do some second series thing, like the early backbends of second series and some of the inversions because those felt really good. And I kept, I kind of kept that practice throughout the pregnancy actually. And actually I think I, I probably mainly removed first series as, you know, as the belly grew. It just didn't feel good to forward bend. So I just, I did a lot of the backbending stuff and I did a few of the third series like backbending postures that felt, you know, like pigeon and full pigeon and the warrior three. There's like a few things that I did from third series that felt really nice, but mainly my practice turned into a very adjusted second series. And how was your pregnancy in general? My pregnancy was great. It was very easy. I think part of it, I mean, I think what made the pregnancy so, yeah, I never had any sickness and I never had any back pains or any like I never had any swollen limbs and I practiced the day before I like the day of actually going into labor and I think it was because I respected those first three months and I was you know I I took very seriously how I nourished my body as it as it grew and I think also just listening to it uh, throughout you know if there were days that I was tired I would rest I wouldn't do any activity you know, aside from maybe a walk or a swim, a gentle swim. And I was lucky, of course, because a lot of people do that and then they, they don't have such an easy pregnancy. But I think it was just a really deep listening to what the body needed. And I, I really want, I went in really wanting to support my body and to, yeah, to create this deep uh, relationship of trust with it. How did you feel in your body during your pregnancy? You did touch on the, the body issues. Well, it, it was it was a back and forth. There were days that I so even though my pregnancy was easy, I didn't love being pregnant. I had a lot of moments where I felt resentment, and I felt you know I would look at my partner and see him doing regular life, and I felt like I wasn't doing anything regular, and I I sometimes felt resented for that, and I didn't like to experience that. I didn't love the restricted movement. Uh, I know that there are some women that love being pregnant and I, I was definitely not one of those. I, I was respectful of it and I was in awe of my body for it, but I didn't, I didn't love being in it. Uh, I was looking forward for it to be over and to, for me to be able to get back to my, you know, my regular ability to move. In terms of the, of, you know, having been anorexic and, and dealing with the changes, I think the postpartum is more challenging. Um, the pregnancy was fine because I felt like, I knew that if I was, you know, eating healthily and, and moving, I was going to be fine. And there, you know, there was a seed of fear of like, ah, what, what will happen afterwards? Will my body be able to, to come back? Will it be, will it be changed forever? And how am I going to deal with that? So that, that was present. I think once the baby came out, those first few weeks, it was, I didn't even think about my body, honestly. I, just, I was just so taken by this life and learning to breastfeed and like not sleeping. And it was just, there were so many things like my, I don't even think I thought about my body once. 
but then you know slowly the reality starts to sink in and you know there's there's days that I feel a little bit like of almost like a, a grief or like a mourning of who I was before in terms of like the physical uh, but then there's also this deep sense of gratitude for this new body because it's holding a lot I mean it, to me it's mind-blowing that we as women can not only create a human but like feed it <laughs> that they rely on us for their for their for their nourishment for their lifeline I think it's just so genius how how we are created and how you know it's really easy I think if you set your mind to trying to see the positive to be in awe of how amazing we we are as as women not you know yeah yeah we're we're truly amazing there's days that are dark and hard you know that i i especially i think social media is very toxic with that you know you scroll through social media and you see all these people that maybe don't have kids or they do have kids and but they're you know they're they're fully back to their selves and i'm like oh i wonder if i'm ever going to get there and then and then there's a sense of like but who cares that that's not what you know i'm reminded back of like that's not what life is about that's just an expression of who we are but it's it's not that it's not what we're i have the other thing is that i think when you're anorexic you value yourself depending on what you look like on the outside in your postpartum it's because your body is different and you're different you're you're no longer who you were you're a mother now so there's the core you're you but you're also not you anymore so it's very like very complex so it's like there's this thing of there is this you miss who you were but at the same time there's so much in the moment that you really don't miss who you were and I think it's important to remind ourselves that you know that life is not about that what was your expectation of your birth itself and what preparation did you do so my expectation of my birth was that I was going to be a rock star birther and I was going to be able to just slide the baby out of my vagina. And that did not happen. <laughs> um, Don't we all think that? <laughs> right? I know. So I, you know, I was, um, and, you know, we all think that and then we all have, you know, we are all told to, that you must believe in it in order for it to happen. So it's uh and I don't want to discourage any woman. I think we all should believe that and we all should go into it thinking that. But, you know, I think because I was so wanting to have a natural birth and and the, all the literature that I read was kind of like demonized almost. That, that might be a little bit of a pushy expression, but, you know, the epidurals and all kinds of drugs are talked about in a really negative or put in a really negative light. And so I walked into the birth center where I was going to birth with that luggage, you know, with that emotional luggage. And, you know, my partner was my doula. I had told him like specifically, like, no matter what happens to me, how delirious I get, just remind me that I don't want any drugs, like especially Pitocin, like, no, just no matter how, what state I'm in, you just remind me that I'm not going that route. So it took me three days to, to bring this baby into the world three days of active labor. So by the second day, or maybe even like a day and a half into it, I was like, okay, this is enough. And he went and my partner was like, no, 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 remember your plan. And I was like, I don't give a shit about my plan. And then I somehow managed to extend it into, you know, another half, a day and a half. And then at that point, my midwife 
you know, which I had written a very specific birth plan as well. Like I was really dedicated to doing it without drugs. And um, the third day in, I, I started crying to the midwife and I was like, please just let go of my plan. Please just let go of my plan. I want to change my plan and just give me, get, let's get this baby out. I did push the baby out of my vagina, but I, I did it with the help of, of the epidural. And I'm so happy I did that. It was such a relief to be able to sleep. And, and to be able to, um, I mean, I had a great team. The, the midwife that we worked with was amazing. She, she managed to, you know, I wanted to birth squatting and I wanted to be able to touch the baby's head. And, and my partner was open to maybe catching the baby if, if the situation gave itself. And they, they set me up on the bed in a way that I was still squatting. And she had warned me that the epidural would wear off and I would still feel, you know, the ring of fire. And I was, really lucky because I was able to use my my core and use my legs but I did not feel anything when the baby came out so it was amazing (laughs) I almost don't want to have any more babies just because I don't want to ruin that memory (laughs) of like just the epidural being there enough that I could use my body but not feel anything when the baby came out I think the important message that I wish that I would have heard before I went into this is that, you know, if you like me are immersed in literature of natural birth, that is great. But I don't think that, you know, there's anything wrong with using a little help. You know, these drugs have been created for us women to, to not suffer if we, if the situation gives that you, you choose to not suffer or you choose not that it's suffering. I mean, it's a pain that we can all sustain. But, you know, it's, it's a tool of freedom and, and it saved a lot of people. And I think that that's also part of, you know, that's what we learn in yoga is that we, we learn to be flexible and adapt to the situation. And I think that it's important to, to not make your mind. I know that I made my mind really rigid around certain things that I wanted to, to do with birth. In the days of the birthing, I learned, I really learned about flexibility and adaptability and and it was great because it was really nice to to give it up and I had this beautiful moment where I just you know my partner was like are you going to be upset at yourself for the rest of your life because this is what you had told me walking in that if you were if you would end up with drugs you would be upset forever and regret this and I had this whole moment of just this deep moment of acceptance and and just like a deep a part of me just kind of like relaxed and I was like yes I am absolutely fine with this like this is this is what is now and and I'm okay with that and I don't know I don't know if I can explain it in words but the the memory of it is just this deep kind of you know when you have a really good practice and at the end you sit there and you just want to meditate for who knows how long you just kind of sit there and you can't unsit and that's the way it felt it just felt like ah this is good (laughs) that's how my birth went and it was great the baby was healthy he had his umbilical the umbilical cord wrapped around his head i think once but as he came out uh the midwife was really great with how she guided me with the pushing he would i pushed for maybe like 45 minutes to an hour and when he came out she saw the umbilical cord so she slowed me down and she unwrapped it as he came out and my partner ended up catching him and it was great and he was you know I was I was worried that with the drugs he might not I really wanted to do the breast crawl thing which is where the baby kind of sees the nipple and slowly makes his way 
his or her way to the nipple. And I was scared that if I if I received drugs that he would be, I had read that the baby would be affected and he might not latch as well. And so I was really worried about that. And he had absolutely no problem. I think in like less than half an hour, he was on the nipple and sucking away. I had no problem. So I guess the takeaway is, you know, believe in natural birth, do all the, the reading that you need to do. But I think there needs to be, you know, these, these drugs are, my midwife said that they change them. Like every year they're, they're better is not really a word, but I have milk brain right now. So I'm going to use that word. They're there to help us and to give us freedom. And I think the important thing is that the baby comes out safe and the mom walks out healthy and, and, uh, safe. Taking it back to your preparation, is that what you did? Did you immerse yourself in literature or what guided you through your preparation for your birth? I uh, I did a lot of reading. I love Ina May and all her books. Actually, she did a podcast where she speaks about this too, because she was pretty fierce about any kind of drug being the demon. And so she came on a podcast you know, someone that was really angry about their birth experience reached out to her. And so she actually changed, there's a new edition of her book where she actually changed the language uh, she used to to describe epidurals and pitocin and all those other things. And she explained in the podcast that it's not that these things are bad. You should go in knowing what you're putting into your body. Um, but so I, I read a lot of her books and then I read The Birth Partner I read a lot of different books and I read a lot of books on breastfeeding, but it was all, I almost like, except for the Ina May books where it talked about the different drugs and methodologies, I kind of would not even read. Like it was so blocked out of my consciousness. I I wouldn't even read sections of books about C-sections and epidurals. And uh, I would just kind of like, I had decided I wasn't even going to read that. And I did, I did hypnobirthing. And I realized, like going in, I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to be a great hypnobirther. And after the birth, I realized I was like, how did I even think that I was a type of person that could hypnobirth? Like I learned so much about myself with this birth. It's, it really made a clear image of, of who I am and who I, I, how I imposed these images of who I think I would like to be on myself. So it was a good reality check. Did you do any other sort of therapies to sort of get the body ready or? The main things that I did were, it's not a therapy, but I did a lot of perineal massage, you know, where you were. And I think that was part of the hypno birthing uh, practice where you just, you massage your perineum a lot. The last, like every night you spend five to 10 minutes massaging your, your perineum so that the skin begins to stretch. And, and I, I think that was really helpful because I didn't tear at all. I did a little bit before COVID hit because I gave birth like in the height of it. I did uh, some f- uh, flotations, sensory deprivation tank. I had actually purchased a whole month of it and I was planning to do it the last month. But then I gave birth at the end of April and I think things shut down in end of March or end of February. So I, I ended up not ha- not being able to swim or do floats for the last three months, which is kind of what I had envisioned for myself. Did you do classes with your partner or what was his preparation? Yeah, we did. um, We worked with a doula that did some prenatal courses. So we did that together and he read the birth partner 
in order to prepare because it was like you know i was like we can either get a doula or you can be my doula and so he he wanted to do that so he read the birth partner and then we did this prenatal course where we you know you learn about the the different positions and where what how the partner can help you you know with his hands and his presence so we did that and that was really helpful that was probably the most helpful more than all the hypnobirthing stuff the hypnobirthing also had a few things for the partner but that went out the window the moment i started going to active labor so in the end that didn't really help that's good to know yeah i mean i think the hypnobirthing was helpful with teaching me to stay put I was never really great at the visualizations that are required with the hypnobirthing and with the presence that it, that it requires to, to keep your mind in that state. I just, once, um, active labor hit, I was not able to be in my, like I wanted to escape my body instead of being in it. So it was hard for me to apply the hypnobirthing uh, during the active labor because I, I did not want to be there. My partner really had to hold me down to make it through. For me, it wasn't helpful. But if, you know, if you're a grounded person and, you know, you're, you have that solid kapha base, I think it's a great, it's a great practice. But if you're vata by nature, it's a little too heady. It's very hard to ground the practice in your physical self. What were your first signs of labor? I actually had to bring it on. So I, I really wanted a Taurus and I was on, he was doing the cusp. So I was, I was really trying to keep him in until we hit the cusp and I was really trying to get him out. So he, and he was a week late. So I, I, um, I was really looking for those signs and they weren't coming. And so I, I decided to, I did a really nice, uh, ritual, which was on that Wednesday. He came on Sunday. So that Wednesday I took the day to kind of, you know, they say that the birth, they say entering the birth portal. So I, I decided that Wednesday, it was Earth Day. And I was like, oh, how wonderful. This is the extent to which I tried to control this whole situation, thinking that I was this great hypnobirther. I, I, I was trying to make my baby come on Earth Day because I thought that would be a good day for him to be born. <laughs> that did not work. I made this beautiful bath with flowers and candles. And, you know, I told my partner that I was going to try to enter into this zone and I put music on and, you know, I spent about 24 hours in that zone and then nothing happened. So I was like, okay, this is not going to work. I can't continue to be in this zone anymore. So I, but it was really nice to have that day of just like really soothing, calming, a little bit self-imposed, but it was, it was nice to kind of, to kind of open the doors for, for it to come. That was Wednesday. And then Thursday, I began to feel like there was, I definitely felt like things were moving towards. Like I woke up that morning and I, it wasn't like a full contraction. What are they called? Like preparation contractions. I, I felt like that began to happen a little bit. And so I ate curry and spicy that day. And then I did a practice or that evening. And then that night I thought labor began. Because I was having some contractions and by nighttime they were kind of, they began to be contractions. And so I was like, okay, we should go to the birth center. I put on an outfit. I made a braid. I like put on the earrings on that I wanted to give birth with. It was the whole thing. And I got to the birth center and I rang the doorbell and literally they were like, who is this? And I was like, this is baby Lauren's daddy. I'm here to birth. (laughs) (laughs) And the midwife was like, okay and so I walked in and 
she sat me down. She's like, you know, if you were in labor right now, you would not be dressed like this. You would not be talking like this. And I was like, no, no, but I'm having contractions. And so she, she tested and I was having contractions, but she's like, yeah, this could, this could be days. And I was like, okay. So we went back home. Well, the birth center is like an hour away from my house. So I also was a little nervous about that. And I also thought I was going to be one of those people that was going to give birth in the car. So I had all these thoughts about myself that really did not match with reality. And so we came home. And then I think in the middle of the night, I went downstairs to go to the bathroom and I started, I got this really strong contraction and my body reacted by starting to shake almost like uh, when, like an epileptic uh, shit. You know, whenever people have epileptic attacks, they start shaking like crazy. I started to shake like that and I, I couldn't stop. And my partner came downstairs and he saw how freaked out I was. And so he called the midwife and the midwife was like, okay, she's in active labor. You should come back. And so we got in the car and I had set up the car so that I would be in the front seat, but I would, I was kind of, um, with my butt facing the front of the car and just leaning on the seat. It's pretty crazy. The shift from pre-labor to active labor. It's just like from day to night. And so I, I don't even, I like had my pajamas on. I threw on this huge scarf. I, I didn't have shoes on and I put on, um, Krishna Das. I was in the car and I, it was, you know, it was active labor, so it was pretty intense, but I thought I was giving birth the whole time. <laughs> so my poor partner was driving and he, he started to like speed and, and he was so scared that I was going to have the baby in the car because I was so convinced that I was going to have the baby in the car. And when I walked in this time, it was nothing like the person that walked in the first time. I was without shoes, this huge scarf on, and I had my phone on blasting and chanting to Shiva. And I think people, the, the nurses were like, wow, okay. <laughs> and it was great. And then, you know, little did I know that they, they, they tested my cervix and it was like, I don't know, three centimeters. And it took, it took three days and, and Pitocin to, to get me to dilate fully. So, you know, it's just funny that the whole time I thought I was breathing. There's no close. <laughs> Tell us about the expectation versus the reality of settling into being a mother. So we're though probably, I don't know, we've covered the birth, but it feels like we're jumping ahead a little. Well, I didn't, I was, that's the other thing that, you know, I feel like going back, I would change. I, I prepare, well, actually I wouldn't change it because it's kind of, it's been kind of nice to for a change, not have a plan. I feel like I'm, I'm one of those people. I think a lot of Ashtangis are that way because there is a certain element that the Ashtanga practice, like if you're not careful with it, it can create or continue to establish a certain rigidity. So I, I, I had everything prepared for what I thought was going to be the birth. And I had read a lot about pregnancy, but I hadn't really prepared. That's where the Ayurvedic piece came into place. Like I knew that I was going to rely on that during and after um during pregnancy and after uh, the birth but i didn't necessarily have like a plan for motherhood like i had read about breastfeeding I and mean, everyone had told me like oh the first few weeks are so hard and you really need help and we couldn't get help because of covid so it was just us so i did a lot of um in terms of preparation is i we prepared a lot of soups and a lot of broths and froze them so that was really nice i i followed this um well, so now you're it's called a sacred window. So it's the, the 40 days after birth. But there's this book that I follow the first 40 days. She applies both Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic elements to, to the recipes that she uses. But basically it's you spend 40 days 
not doing any kind of physical practice, you're staying indoors a lot, and you're just kind of like, you're extending the, the cocoon of the womb outward on the outside. And so, you know, you protect yourself from, you, you try to pacify. So there's when after you give birth, the main element of the body that is out of whack is vata. So there's a lot of air element present. So you want to kind of everything that you would do is to pacify that vata and to create more more of this kafic like earth steady connected hearty element uh, and so it involves like a lot of heat keeping yourself very warm keeping yourself very close to your baby keeping yourself very close to, to earth nourishing yourself with like warm liquid all the foods should be should have this element of water and warming spices and you know no no coffee obviously no, nothing that excites the nervous system a lot of like sweet words and you know even with the partner like the, the kapha element in that is that like the relationship be very soft and gentle and and caring and nourishing you know i was outside obviously because it was spring and so it was it was nice out so we'd go on daily walks uh but there was no you know i, I didn't practice until i think the fifth week uh, postpartum and, and, and when I did practice, I started very, very gentle, like very, very adjusted Surya Namaskar A for a week. And then I integrated Surya B and then I integrated standing. So it was a, a, a very gradual, almost coming out of a womb for myself as well. And I think just like the first three months that you take off, I think these 40 days are so important. Uh, no matter how much you know, in that there's also a little bit of fear because you're like, oh, right away you want to get back to yourself. I think it's so important to to challenge yourself to really stay put uh, because there is so much energy going outwards already uh, naturally, but just by just all that you need to give to your baby, that your body really, your body needs that that settling, that nourishing, that like staying put in order to just begin to to rebuild itself. I found it really useful to to take that time, no matter how much, you know, there was my nervous system tried to like freak me out and, you know, my mind would kick in and be like, you need to move, you need to do this, you need to do that. Um, just resisting that um, or, you know, seeing it, letting it be and, and, and being really present with the baby. Um, I think that was that was a huge part of my recovery going so well. Um, you know, I stopped bleeding the fifth, the fifth week. I didn't have any, I did vagina steams. I think that's what they're called, where you have these herbs that you put in hot water and then you sit on the you sit on the steam, and I think that really helped with the healing of the or like it it supposedly helps the healing of your uterus to come back and it helps your the birth canal to to re uh, the skin and the the membranes to kind of heal back. So I think the first time we were sexually active was also at the fifth week mark, and I didn't have any pain. It was a really wonderful experience and. It, um, you know, it took some time to get sensitivity back, but there was no pain. And I think that was, that was thanks to the, the vaginal steams. Sorry if I'm like very graphic right now, but, um, <laughs> I've never heard of those. It sounds really interesting. I was like, why didn't I do that? <laughs> yeah. It's the whole thing. I, I hadn't, I had, I hadn't heard of it until I read this book. Um, the fourth trimester, she has a podcast called yoga. No, mega mama, I think is her name or mega mega maga something like that um she she talks about it a lot the these vagina steams so basically it's it's herbs like i think it's uh calendula and rose hips and uh oat straw um there's like a mix that you you can buy it made online um you do a day i didn't do it daily because 
it was a little hard to find the time to like sit. You can buy a, a specific bowl or you can just put a bowl. I put a bowl in the toilet, like a big bowl inside the toilet. And then I would sit on the toilet and cover myself with a towel. And you, it's so wonderful because you feel this really nice heat moving up into your belly. So it's a really nice, I really highly recommend the, the practice. And, you know, I sometimes would breastfeed while I did that. And then I did a lot of um, self-massage with almond oil or sesame oil. So that's an Ayurvedic practice as well. I did that a lot more during the pregnancy. Once the baby came, it was a little harder to find the time to do that. Mega Mama is the name of the woman. Mega Mama. Um, once the baby came, I only had time to... The first two weeks, I made the time to do it all over my body, uh, where I would go, you know, from the extremity in towards your heart, so that for circulation. Once it got really intense with taking care of the baby and just being too tired, um, I, I would just rub the belly with the oil. And the other very helpful thing was that I decided to keep my placenta so we brought it home and this is kind of gross but we, we didn't pay for the service because it was kind of expensive so we just brought the placenta home we cut it up into small pieces and we wrapped each piece in uh, wax paper and we froze it and every morning for the first month uh, we both would have a smoothie with the placenta and then at the month I think after the month ended we started doing it once a week and then I think I just had the last piece three weeks ago um, so I think that really helped with postpartum depression and with uh, with just balancing the hormonal shift that happens when when your baby departs your body. There's like this, you know, this big emptiness that you experience. And I've been talking about this on my Instagram feed. I think there's a difference between depression and the natural process of going through the more it's a morning you know you you had this this life inside of you and all of a sudden it's outside of you and you're left you know you were this pregnant woman and now you're no longer a pregnant woman you're no longer your previous self either you're this new entity that's holding a baby that you don't know even though you grew it you look at it and you're like who are you and you know, you had an image of it and it doesn't match the image of it. It's, you know, it's its own thing. And it's a very, you know, very, that's why it's vata provoking because it's a very, like nothing is what it used to be. And you're left feeling empty because even though you're so full at the same time, because you have this baby and you feel so much love, but you also don't feel so much love. It's like all these different emotions mixed together. And you go through these, you know, the day becomes this up and down of emotions that go between feeling alone and uncertain and not knowing of who you are and then looking at the baby and forgetting everything and feeling so in love and then looking at your partner and feeling so in love and then looking at him again and feeling like who are you and who am I and what are what's going to happen with us I think the placenta it really helps with with the slowly easing off of of the hormonal drop that was really helpful with my postpartum journey. What was the catalyst for you to return to your practice? Well, I felt ready. I felt like the fifth week something transitioned. Like I felt like not that I not that I felt like I had it together or that I I had a sense of breastfeed. I, I was very lucky with breastfeeding. I didn't. I had a small infection, but 
you know, my midwife right away gave me nipple shields and this ointment. And so I was able to not have any, any real issues, just a little bit of soreness and like a little bit of a beginning of an infection. So I was, I was very lucky in that I could put all my energy towards like just learning to, to breastfeed in a way that felt good for both baby and I. And so I felt like at the fifth week mark, something shifted to where there was, it's not that there was a full comfort because that didn't happen until later, but I felt like we all began to kind of have a sense of, okay, we have arrived. Like the baby is here. We're not sleeping as much, but we're figuring out how to nap. We're not trying to, you know, at first we were trying to keep the house clean and cook and do all these things. And it was like, we don't need to really do anything other than feed the baby, take a nap and like drink some water and defrost some food. You know, I think once we settled into that, and especially me, because my, my partner is a lot more go with the flow, easygoing. But, you know, at first I was like, the house must be clean. The, the, everything must be organized for me to feel like I am still okay. Around that time, like, I was like, you know what? Nothing really matters. And so that's when I also started to feel like I, I wanted to get back to practice. And that's when I felt very sexual throughout. The postpartum for me was a very sensual time more than than now. I at that point I also I also felt ready to to express myself in a sensual way and with my partner and so yeah it it, it just came out like I I I think the body naturally tells you when it's ready and I I think before that there was a little bit of fear in in trying to practice because I felt like I didn't feel like everything was together in my pelvis things weren't going to fall off if I practiced. <laughs> and I, when I tried it, it worked. And so I was like, great. Uh, for a while, that, that sixth week, the fifth week I did, a, you know, I slowly did a little practice based on the Ashtanga standing and sun salutations with, without jump back. It was all like a stepping back and very slow with extra breaths. But then I started, my teachers at the Shala were on Zoom so I started doing vinyasa classes, which was amazing. I did that for, I think, a whole month. Felt really nice to not have to exert willpower to like guide myself, but to be guided and to, you know, use blocks and adjust the body as it needed. And also just the, it being different every day felt really nice. And then I went back to, to my Ashtanga practice, I think the third month. And now, uh, we're in the four, going into the fourth month. I'm, I'm slowly starting to think about third series. I'm, I'm just doing the first three postures right now. I just did them yesterday with Eddie and it felt really nice. I'm in no rush to get back into it. In fact, I can't fathom yet how third series is going to fit into motherhood. And I don't know if it, I necessarily need it, but that's where I'm at now. And I feel like, you know, with motherhood, every day is different. You wake up and you feel different than you did the other, the day before. And your baby's different and your body's different. And so I, I'm not making any plans, I guess, is the bottom line of that. <laughs> and how do you make it all work in your morning or your day with your baby and then trying to sort of squeeze in a practice? Are you able to do that a few times a week or how many times and how long are you able to practice at this point? I feel like in that sense, it's been a blessing that we're in this pause with COVID because, you know, neither my partner or I are working right now, which has its financial downside, but it gives you so much time. 
you know, I don't have to wake up right now. I would be, I would be traveling every day an hour and a half to go teach. And I'm, I don't have to do that right now, uh, because of this current situation. So I feel really blessed in some way to have that, to be able to be here for my baby and to not, you know, also my parenting style is not, I'm not about schedules. We let our baby kind of lead, you know, when he's tired, we put him down and he's hungry. I feed him. It has its positive sides and its negative sides, but I think we're able to do that because we don't really have anywhere to go anyway. So I just make sure that I have, I told my partner before giving birth that it was going to be a priority for me to have an hour or an hour and a half a day for myself. Uh, and I did that since the very beginning. Like I would just take an hour to do something for me it, before, before it was practice. It was like journaling or just taking a nap by myself. Um, so now I, I, I practice for an hour. Uh, and my partner watches the baby and I do that every day. You know, if some days I'm tired, practice might look like just some sun salutations and some seated postures, or it might be a walk or it might be, you know, a hike or it might be taking a nap. Uh, but I would say that I practice at least four to five days out of the week. I take rest one day and then I've been dabbling a little bit with a few Pilates workouts just to get, I felt like I needed to, dip, um, develop a little bit more sense of my core in order for my, I had some back pains after birth because of the epidural. So I felt like I needed to create that stability. So I, I do that a little bit. And then every once in a while, I, I do some kind of aerobic workout because that feels, that feels good as well. And then the other day, I, th I think two weeks ago, I, I was just like, it was one of those days where you just did, I did not have any time for myself throughout the day because the baby was having some issues. And so at like 7 p.m. I was like okay baby's down I'm going for a run which I hadn't run in like years and it felt so good the next day I couldn't move but in the moment it was like oh it just feels so nice to feel like I'm getting all this angst out by exerting this you know this physical effort um so yeah that's what I've been doing it was it a clinical pilates that you're doing or is it just kind of like more of a exercise pilates did you have any pelvic floor or abdominal separation or uh, no, I didn't have any specific issues. I just felt like I could develop issues if I went into practice without first building some foundation. And they have uh, a prenatal and a postnatal series. And so I did their postnatal series and it's, um, it's, you know, it's slow and it's very, you know, you're really attent to every movement that you're making. It's re it was really good for me to, you know, and I think it's beneficial for anyone actually after, after birth to, to build that stability. And I noticed also you, you and Deepika, you kind of reach out to each other. What was, what was behind that? We've never met each other in real life, uh, only virtually, but we, when I found out, I used, I follow her. I don't think she knew who I was. Uh, or maybe she did, I don't know, but I followed her. And when I saw that she posted she was pregnant, I reached out and I said, congratulations, we're pregnant too. And we found out that we had the same due date. And actually her baby was born one day before mine, even though she was, I think she was due like the same day or something, I don't know. And so we just, we would send each other, you know, little messages to keep up and uh, check in with each other. And we would send each other like things that we were reading or listening to. And then more so after birth, uh, we really connected and it's just been really nice to, to speak to another mother that's in the exact same process, you know, because we gave birth at the same time. It's like each week we're kind of experiencing the same 
things. And so it's nice to, to check in with someone and to hear that they're going through the same thing. And we've, it's been really nice to inspire each other to, oh, I've tried this this week and be like, oh, I'll try that as well. And then bounce off ideas on how it felt and how, you know, just seeing how some things are the same, some things are different and, and to just inspire each other, you know, because I think sometimes as, as a new mom, um, there's a lot of scary things. There's a lot of exciting things. And, and sometimes it's hard to get on the mat. You're tired. And so to have someone, it's been really nice to have someone to encourage me and, and to encourage back. It's been really nice. So I, that's another really grateful thing, uh, that baby brought this, this really nice new friendship. How are you feeling now in your body? after having your baby and but still breastfeeding i feel good you know i i feel like there's a lot of you know i'm i definitely don't feel like i'm myself like i used to the feeling of myself used to be one of like very light and airy and i feel very grounded and very very focused in a way even though you know i i do have the milk brain i feel very peaceful and i feel very this might sound bad, but there's nothing really, I feel very accomplished. I don't feel like I, there's not much I feel like I need to do in order to feel accomplished right now. Like I feel like if my baby can smile at me and he can take a nap happily and I can have the hour to practice and I can wake up and, and remember to kiss my partner before I kiss the baby, like that is all that I like I need right now. And I, it feels really nice to counter that. I also feel feel a little bit sad about my body in the sense that it's not sad that's not the right word but my breasts are very big and it constricts a lot of movement there's a lot of things I can't do in my practice because of of the size of them and uh, I get very annoyed at that and I almost fit in my clothes but not really so it's like it's this weird sensation of like I don't even fit in my clothes what should I do should I buy new clothes or should I just wear the same three things all the time so you know little superficial things like that are worthy of mentioning because I think all of us experience this and it's been great to you know with Deepika we've been talking about this a lot with each other Uh, and I think it's very nice to be open about you, you don't feel great I still have I think I gained 25 pounds in the pregnancy and I still have 10 that I haven't like I came home with having lost 15 and I, I have not been able to lose any of the 10 that I still have. There's been like, at first it was like the belly was out and that's gone back in and my core is strong or slowly becoming strong. But you know, there's probably like seven extra pounds of boobs and um, (laughs) more hips and uh, you know, the, the legs are definitely different. So there's, there's parts of the body that when I stop and dissect feel different and I don't feel happy about that. But when I don't focus on it, there's a resiliency and there's, there's also, you know, there's moments where you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm a woman now, you know, I'm not a girl anymore. I I have a baby. And not that that means that you have to have a mom body, but there's certain things that might not go, you know, my hips might be wider and my, hopefully my boobs will, will shrink. I think it's good for women to hear, like, it's not all sunshine and happiness. There's moments you feel not happy in your body and you wish that you could just take those 10 pounds off but then there's the reality of you're breastfeeding and you're hungry and you can't go on a diet you know you can't restrict or I mean you can if you want to go that route but that's not that's not what I've chosen to do I've chosen to to nourish my body so that I can continue to breastfeed and um, I trust that you know it's taken 
it's taken nine months to build the body that I, I needed to build in order to give life. And it's going to take at least nine months to, to come back to whatever. I think it's important to look at it as a journey to the peak and then a journey back down. So that's the way I'm kind of viewing it. Uh, it's a, it's a mix of feeling great and then feeling not so great. I'd love to keep asking you questions, but I think we should wrap it up. But it's been great to hear in such detail what's been happening for you. And if people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for people to do that? Yeah, so you can reach out to me through Instagram. My feed is uh, bb.lorenzetti. Uh, you can always message me on there or I have a website, bblorenzetti.com, through which you can email me and uh, definitely sign up to my newsletter. I, I have created a newsletter that's just specific for prenatal and postnatal. So if you want to be part of that, yeah, you can email me. The intention with that is to create like an online community where our mothers-to-be or mothers that are mothers um, feel supported and feel like they have a community. That sounds great. Thanks so much for your time. And yeah, hopefully we can get in touch again in the future. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak with you. Thanks for listening to the seventh series podcast. Please subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes as they're released. Help this show to reach more people by going to Apple Podcasts to rate or leave a review. You can connect with me or share episodes on Facebook and Instagram. Find more information on the show and guests at seventhseries.net. Please tune in again for another episode of the seventh series.